Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. To welcome my first guest on Luck on Sunday today, a man who's had a, an extraordinary moment this week, and it was an extraordinary moment for so many reasons. He went from riding just eight winners in a season to suddenly routinely riding 100 in a season. He's done that three times. He's on 96 this year, but he's now a Queen Mother Champion chase winner as well. He is, of course, Harry Skelton. Harry, good morning. Good morning, Nick. And it must feel good to be Harry Skelton right now, right here. Yeah, brilliant. Um, you know, what happened last week is, you know, what you dream of when you're growing up. And, you know, to have that come as a reality is, is very, very special. It must have it must have struck you more than once how how extraordinary bizarre in some ways that it was that you rode that that marquee winner for for Paul Nichols with whom you you'd spent so much time early in your career. Yeah, I mean, you know, I spent a lot of time there, um, and then you know for it all to sort of spiral and turn round again, and you know you, you couldn't really write it as well, you know. So um, that was very very special, and you know Paul had him you know prime for the day, and um, that's why he does so well. And, and particularly given the fact that because you've become so successful but so inextricably associated with the success of your brother Dan, the, the outside rides have been sort of few and far between, by design, really, in, in many respects. Yeah, they have, I suppose. Um, you know, I'm very, very, you know, committed to to, to Dan now and our, our, it's a family, you know, family-run business and, um, you know, we've got a lot of horses and a lot of supporting owners and... You know, I'm there seven days a week and, um, you know, I have full commitments uh, to, to our owners that are put supporting me. And, you know, like you reflected on earlier, it's eight winners and then suddenly Dan started training and it all turned around. So, um, no, I'm very, very you know, loyal to, to my brother and, um, and and our supporting owners. And But, you know, picking up rides in a champion chase, that is what you want and you want those good spares and um, I've been doing a little bit of riding out for Paul this this winter, and um, you know it's um, they're the ones you want to be on. Uh, you say you've been doing a bit of riding out for Paul this winter. Was that with a with a good ride or two in mind, or was it was it just because you you wanted to get out and do something different and see and see another yard occasionally? Um, it's, I suppose it came back from um, last year um, down at uh, Wincanton and the Kingwell Hurdle and. I think it was on the Wednesday, and, and Paul had spoke to Dan and said, "Where's Harry going on Saturday?" And he, you know, we didn't have many runners, and um, he said, "Oh, can you come down to Wincanton and ride a few?" So you know, jumped at the the chance. I was down there on the Saturday morning before Wincanton, went off to Wincanton for three or four rides, um, a few for Paul, and it was Grand Sancy in the in the Kingwell. He went and won, and then <laughs> that was that. And then Paul said, "You know, 
you know, keep coming down a little bit, coming right out, and that's what I've done since. Um, you know, it's you know, the, the firepower at Ditchit is 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 amazing, and you know, those are the horses you want to be on, and um, I suppose it all it all came from there, really. And so it's come to a it's come to a glorious conclusion. How surprised were you when you you got the call up for Politolog? Yeah, I was you know a little bit surprised, um, but uh, you know Harry Cobden obviously he couldn't ride two in the race, um, and it was I think it was the Wednesday before John Hales rang me up who who has some horses with us as well, um, and said Harry you're riding Politolog in the Champion Chase you better go down and sit on him, so I spoke to Paul went down and had a sit on him, and um, yeah that was that, and it it didn't seem that there was ever a moment in the race where the horse wasn't fresh and comfortable and enjoying himself he just looked as if he was in a in a perfect rhythm throughout how could, could you sort of tell what sort of form he was in the minute you got on him yeah well um when i got on him he's you know he's always a little bit hot beforehand and um, he wears the hood and paul back in the tingle creek for some reason you know didn't show up but uh, you know he said he, he just didn't perform he you know said to john that he's going to keep him fresh for this and you know, when I got on him, he was on his toes, but he, I had never, he hadn't got hot, he hadn't boiled over, and um, he was just ready for the job and got down to start. He went down very calmly and he was ready to go. As soon as the tape went back, you know, he's, he's jumped out of the gate well and, and um, yeah, it went very, very well from there. Um, his foot perfect the whole way around, and his two ears were flickering the whole way, and that just said to me that he wasn't doing too much in front, you know, there was. I, I knew there was plenty left, and um, obviously he'd won over two mile five at the highest level, and you know from the top of the hill, I you know, just wanted to stretch, you know, stretch the others a bit, maybe draw it out of them, and um, that's exactly what he did. He, you see here, he was very, very brave from the back of the last. He needed a tough horse at Cheltenham, and, and that's exactly what he is. And because Altiel didn't run, because Chacan Poussois didn't run, because Deputy de Soy was massively disappointing, it is a race that's fallen apart to a certain extent, but. You're quite well placed to tell us whether you thought that was a genuine Grade One performance, just just from your perspective. I think you know he was second in the race last year, um, and on that performance, it would have taken a good one to beat him. Um, obviously, um, Deffy maybe mightn't have run run up to to what he should have, um, but you know we saw in Paisley Park they're not machines. That, you know it's it all fell right for for Politolog, didn't it? And um, you know, unfortunate that Altior couldn't be there, but on that performance, you'd have to have said that you know they'd have had to have been right on their A game to beat him. Do you think that you could go out there with relatively little pressure? Yeah, I suppose um, the pressure comes with the with the job, and it's how you handle it. And there's pressure with everything, but um, I suppose he was a little bit maybe as uh, in in. What he wasn't favourite, and he was, you know, it looked like it was Deffy's race. But um, yeah, I suppose there, if you're going in there, red hot favourite, there's, there's slightly, you know, that that bit of more pressure and expectation. But um, I think you know, put pressure on yourself. You can do as well as you can, you know. So take me back to the the time when you you only rode a handful of winners in a season. I mistakenly on TV said it was seven the other day, but yeah, you know, it was eight. It was Very eight. important distinction. Very, it was eight winners in a important. season, not seven winners a season. Did you did you not think of just saying, well, I've tried my best. It's not really worked. I'm done now. Yeah, I suppose it come. You know, at pools where I was there a long time, and so was Dan, and things just dried up for me there. And so you you um, were you there from when you were very very young? 
Yeah, I started out at Richard Hannon's. I wanted to ride on the flat and then just got a little bit too big and then I moved to Pools because Dan was there. Um, Dan actually started there through John Hales um, and he, he got a couple of weeks down there work experience and then he never left. Um, so that you know made sense for me to go there. Um, I had great great time as a conditional, and the year after I did you know had a good season as well. And then things just dried up, and probably you know you wish you had the experience that you have now back then, but that doesn't happen without time. Mm. And Paul always said you know it's going to be time, and that's what it was. And um, and then yeah, you know suddenly you've gone from riding thirty winners as a conditional down to eight, and you think, God, this is a long old road. You know, this is going to be hard, and um, it was tough. I was driving around the country, riding out for many trainers, and I was getting support, but it, yeah, the winners were, were few and far between. And um, you do it because you love it, and you just keep going. And and you know, luckily for me, I got a leg up with Dan, come out and started training at the right time. And then, you know, since then, it's it's we haven't looked back. What what conversations did you and he have together when he was going to embark on his training career? Because he was going to fill with horses quite quickly. Yeah, he was. Uh, you know, I suppose people thought, well, he'll, you know, he, he's going to start with with fifty. But we didn't. We started with twelve. Um, you know, I was working full time with um, uh, Dan's uh, secretary, Elaman, and um, the two of us pretty much mucked them all out. And Dan, Dan would dig in as well. And then it, it just, it all just, you know, snowballed from there. We had a few winners, and then suddenly we were twenty, thirty, and then. You know, you never thought you'd get that many horses that quickly. Um, but Dan's done a fantastic job. He's very, very positive, and and that you know, they can see that in his training. Was it an always a sort of unspoken understanding, or even a spoken understanding between you that he trained him, you'd ride him? Simple as that. Yeah. Well, obviously, the leg up we'd had from Dad. You know, it's without him we wouldn't have been able to start, and we're very, very lucky that we've got that. And Dad, I suppose Dad said, "You're training them. He's riding them. That's the way it is." And um, no, it's brilliant when it's family. It's, it means it means an awful lot. Um, just that you know, it does mean that little bit more. You know, blood's thicker than water, and it always will be. Um, but um, you know, we're very, very privileged to be in the position we're both in. Um, but we've got to work hard and make sure it works. And it doesn't matter what leg up you've given in life. I think you can still go and mess it up. You know, you've got to make sure it happens. You've got to make sure it works. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel, Dubai. Brani, thank you very much for coming. It seems like last week you were here, but it's actually about two and a half years ago. So yeah, I, was it that actually time. that long? God, yeah. it does feel like yesterday when I turned up and I didn't know what an Oyster card was. And I was, uh, you put me in, in some place and I, I walked in and the guy with the... The curry coming straight out at me and uh, then walking up and down the street, lost, yeah. Um, not much has changed. We like to look after our guests really well on this programme. Yeah, we've got better at it yeah. as time's gone on, I think. But it's great to see you again and we'll, we'll talk about your week in a bit. And Lee, it's a, it's, it's, it's a weird time for the sport at the moment. Jeez. But yeah. we can you know, look back with some fondness on what we've just enjoyed. We can and we only just enjoyed it though. Yeah. Um, I mean... I, I'm writing my column this morning, and I will do when I get home. And it's, the, the theme is tight margins, mm. um, and that was seen on the racecourse with things like Goshen, so close to victory, didn't quite happen, with Champ just nicking the RSA chase, but more, most so in the fact that the Cheltenham Festival only just took place. It was just about as early as it can take yeah. place. Had it been next week, 
wouldn't have happened. We may Surely well wouldn't have, have happened. Not got, not got away with it. Just sneaked through. Yeah, and a... when again we'll have something else like it, who knows? I know we're going to talk about this quite a bit towards the back end of the programme, so please don't think that you know that this is the elephant in the room. It's absolutely not. Uh, and I, I think it's just worth asking you guys, from a from a jockey's point of view, how are you being sort of briefed and talked through the coronavirus situation at the moment? Because obviously, if somebody in the in the weighing room goes down with it, then again, that threatens to undermine the whole continuation of the sport. Um, yeah, they do. They they brief us. The docs come in and brief us um, before the first. And if anybody in the weighing room does go down with it, that's closed doors. It all, it all shuts. Is what they've been saying. Um, and that you have to take yourself back to the car, call 111, and uh, and proceed that way. Um, but as it is, we're all pretty, like like everybody, I guess, it's just kind of, you know, um, we move forward, we kind of listen and take it on board, but uh, you get on with your day-to-day life still. But you feel that you feel reassured by what, what they're telling you when, when you get briefed every day? Yeah, obviously... Um, you know, come in and brief us. You know, just basically what everyone else you know is doing as well. Wash your hands, keep clean, and keep going until you're told otherwise. If you've got a, uh, we've heard it. If you've got a new cough and high temperature, basically stay at home for seven days. I'd find that pretty hard. But it, it's definitely, it's definitely the case, Lee, that in the last two days, even since the Cheltenham Festival finished, that the the mood of the nation is shifting and it appears yeah. as though the advice is going to shift as well. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we, we had the very unusual situation in the in the main racecourse press room um, on was it Thursday afternoon of, whilst horses were sort of going down to start for a race, everybody's attention was fixed on a TV screen with the Prime Minister making a statement about the latest situation. And at that point, um, the, the argument made was very much that there was no need to stop mass gatherings and actually that it wouldn't have a huge impact anyway even if you did on curtailing the spread of the virus now that did seem to put this country out of kilter with what most other states are doing and it also put racing out of kilter with what mm. other sports are doing and as you say in the last 24 hours there does seem to be a significant change in time we're all expecting a different government announcement to be made um, that will drastically reduce the way we live yeah. our lives and will drastically change the way this sport takes place. I fear for, for a lot of people, not just people's physical health, but the mental health of an awful lot of people as well and how this is going to affect them. I'm slightly fearing for Harry Skelton as well, given what we heard before the break, because the, pros- <laughs> the prospect of you with no, <laughs> with no racing... Fear, for, fear, is, fear for my yeah, wife, just, probably more than me, Nick. <laughs> Keep sanitising. Those, wi- those, those whippets me. are going to be very fit by, the, by the end of next month. She said, we had a bit of a joke about it last night, she said, God, can you imagine that, having you in the house for seven days? But um, <laughs> hopefully that doesn't happen. Right, we're going to look back on the Cheltenham Festival before I disappear down this rabbit hole any longer. We're going to be back talking about the implications of coronavirus later on in the programme. We will start with the Gold Cup and album photo carving his little bit of history by becoming the eighth multiple winner of the race, the first to do it back-to-back since Best Mate. And you think, well, Best Mate wasn't that long ago. It was actually 17 years since he uh, regained his crown in 2003. And he had to do it in a very different way, Bryony, to the way he'd done it last year in what appeared to be an oddly steadily run Gold Cup. So to his great credit, he can do it more than one way. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, and, uh, you know, Elegant Escape led the way for probably about the first mile, which just shows you um, that the, the pace wasn't as, as strong as normal Gold Cups probably are um, and that they were all so well bunched with a massive chance coming down the hill. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, he, he, and then he toughed it out well. You know, that hill still, even if it does turn into a sprint, the hill is still the hill. I described him as a sort of unassuming hero, really, this horse. You don't notice him much in anything he does, but he, he can win at the top level in in very game fashion. Yeah, he can. You know, I think everyone sort of says, oh, we want to see these horses more. And, um, but I think Henrietta Knight probably set a trend, really. Um, kept best mate so fresh for three gold cups. And if you're gonna, you know, try back to back Gold Cup, this is how you do it. And you know, Willie's absolutely to perfection. Had one more, one run since um, of the season at Tremor, come out and won two Gold Cups back to back. Fantastic training performance. And you can see there, you know, he's, he's he's won it steadily. He's won it won it from the fast run race. How unlucky do you think Santini was? On reflection, having to switch at the last, making ground all the way up the running. Yeah, I, uh, look, he, he was closing down hard, wasn't he? He's a real strong stayer. Um, but um, you see here, I bet a lot of jockeys thought they were going to win. Um, yeah. You know, but, but, but Paul's had an absolutely, you know, he's absolutely flowing the last two. Um, you know, and uh, Nico's just come at him hard and late, but he hasn't checked his momentum there. Um, I think, the be- you know, the best horse won on the day. Do you think in a more strongly run race, Lee, it might have been a different result. Yes, yes. I think San, San, I think Santini would have won a conventional Gold Cup. And although it was, an, as you say, an oddly steadily run race, it was an entirely predictably steadily run race. Because when you looked at the race beforehand, mm. there wasn't the obvious pace that you would get in a normal Gold Cup. The, the size of the field was probably smaller than you get in, an, in a normal Gold Cup. And it did pan out well for Al Photo, but he was given a very good ride by Paul Townend, who had the horse in the right position, survived those early mistakes, for the second year running got the second last fence all wrong, but still regained momentum and ultimately won decisively. But again, we are in this strange scenario of having a horse who's won back-to-back Gold Cups and will, in 12 months' time, bid to emulate best mate between yeah. Arkle. And yet he isn't really a public horse and in all probability, he isn't going to become a public horse. Um, until he's won three or four Gold Cups and become the Quivega of the well, Gold Cup or something. potentially even yeah. then, yeah. I mean, I suppose Best Mate didn't race very often, as we all know. But his story was sort of... It was boosted by Hen and Terry's story. You yeah. had the romance of their romance. And this, this, this bizarre... Well, not bizarre, this odd couple. <laughs> you know what I mean? Odd yeah. couple who, who, who didn't have an obvious match. And their, their love story be like played out alongside Best Mate. Now, Album Photo doesn't quite have that, that secondary story alongside him. And a horse who, in all probability, after running at Punchestown, will race once at Tremor on New Year's Day. Now, whilst that, why, that is absolutely the right thing to do with that horse, because we Tremor know it sold works. Out next New Year's yeah, Day, yeah. We know it works. It means that the public will never really identify with him because, heck, he appears less than a major flat horse does. Um, so. It, it, it's, it's, it's a great performance, great training performance, great riding performance. The one regret is that we're not really going to grab hold of Album Photo as a horse of the people. What do you think, Bryony? 
Oh, I don't know. He's won two gold cups for me. That's that's a special special horse in all of the connections' hearts. Um, and Paul was on fire, and so was Willie that whole day. You know that must be. Uh, you know you you can only dream of days like that, and what that that they'll relive those moments forever. And I think. Lost in translation as well. Um, that was a massive run from a young horse. I mean, the jump at the last was just, you know, the scope that horse has. So he'll progress on to be, you know, somebody special as well, I'm sure. Um, so, yeah, no, um, I, I still, I, I know, like you say, there's, there's, there's um, the connections maybe with the people, but I still think, you know, to, to win two back-to-back -back Gold Cups and doing it the, that way as well, um, yeah, no, he's, he must be pretty cool. He is chiselling his way into into the public's affection, I think, rather than sort of bursting his way into it. That's for sure. But there's no doubt he's a he's a very very good horse. He's won two gold cups. Another very very smart horse. Another mare to win the champion hurdle. Epatante. It was a brilliant week for mares, not just in races restricted to their own gender either. Not only this mare, Epatante, but uh, the first and second in the Coral Cup, uh, the winner of the final race, more of which in a moment, but. In, in a race that looked muddy beforehand, Harry, the champion hurdle afterwards just seems obvious, doesn't it? Best horse beats second best horse, beats third best horse. Yeah, it did. You know, Nicky had a, such a strong hand going into it. Um, you know, yeah, like you say, after it looked obvious, didn't it? She's getting the mayor's allowance, bolted up at, at Kempton over Christmas. Um, I must say... The man on her back this week has just shown how good he is. Um, every single time, right place, right time, strong as an ox. There's one man you don't want to see up on your outside at the Cheltenham Festival, it's Barry Geraghty, and this week he's shown how, how good he is. And um, at, at, at this, someone put his, as I said, put it in his, his latter part of his career. Yeah. Um, he, the way he's riding, he can go on for a few more years, and. Um, this this meant a lot to him this week and um, Nicky, you know, master at the festival again. Um, it, it won't have been lost on Barry Garrity either, will it? That there has been a lot of chatter in the last two years as to whether yeah. he was quite as good as he was five, ten years ago. That won't have been lost on him. He's a determined, I, intense guy. Yeah, he is. And, you know, as a jockey, you've got to be like that. Um, but, um, like I say, you, you need the horses underneath you as well, but you need to be pointing them in the right direction. And um, he's shown this week that um, he's got he's got a few more festivals left in him yet. All right, I'm, I'm interested in this. I'm interested in the psychology of being a jockey in the Cheltenham weighing room, particularly because those senior, experienced pros. Obviously, Ruby's gone now, but the Gerrities and the Russells and you know, a couple of years, Paul Townend won't be too far off them in terms of his experience around there. Robbie Power. How much of a sort of hex do they have? over the younger jockeys because they've been around there so many times and they understand the, the mentality required to go out and do that? It's, it's experience. You know, that's, that's a lot of it. It's time. It's, they, you think how many festival races they've ridden in. Um, you know, the young lads, you know, going out now, you know, full of potential, and but it's, it's experience and time and that's what Paul always told me. It's, you know... You shouldn't try and run before you can walk, and um, you know we've seen this week that um, you know those guys still doing it, and um, you know we want to be joining them. And Brani, when you go out to ride in, in these races, do you, are you very conscious of where those people are—the people that have 
have had a lot of success there and are invariably in the right place and judging pace the right way. Yeah, I mean, you know um, what you've got to do on your horse. You've done your homework, you know how to ride your horse. You've got your plan. But also the subconscious mind also just clicks into where everybody is. Normally at the start you just have a little look around, you know, especially last year where, you know, I always like where Ruby was, you know, he was right behind me. So I thought, right, so if he's tracking me, then obviously he thinks I'm, I'm one to nearly beat or I'm a good one to follow anyway. But, um, yeah, no, you do. Um, and also you, you watch different characters in the Wayne Room as well, like... Yeah, the Cheltenham Festival, it, it can it can make fairy tales happen for you and also in the same hour it can take you to hell, you know. Um, and you can see there's a winner. There's always a winner out there in every race. There's a winner, but there's always a second. And you see those jockeys coming in and seeing how they deal with, um, you know, the, the, the heartbreak of being second by sometimes a nostril, you know, mm. and how they pick themselves up, get themselves out and go again, you know, and that, that's actually sometimes you admire more. Um, and you, you learn more of people and how they handle themselves in defeat than you do in triumph sometimes. Well, there was plenty during the course of the week that did play out quite predictably, surprisingly sometimes in a lot of the handicaps where there were an awful lot of favourites going in. Uh, but the one horse who I think everyone thought was just bankable and, and couldn't really be beaten did suffer an unlikely eclipse. That was Paisley Park, who was found to have a, a fibrillating heart after his uh, very listless performance in the in the stairs hurdle he's going to Newmarket now for a scan on that but broadly speaking he's okay which is good news he's already in trouble here I mean this was one of the big disappointments of the week Lee but let's not let's not detract from the winner listener Gar Oscar and Rebecca Curtis because he absolutely tanked through this race 50 to 1 he might have been but it was no fluke yeah it, it, well no it, it was no fluke I mean it was obviously the the, the value of the of the achievement um, is, 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 is to an extent um, detracted because of Paisley Park's performance but as you say the horse tanked through the race remarkable too in that two starts ago he'd gone to Warwick and had a mother and father of a fall a horrible fall which he bounced back from very quickly to run well on his following start but realistically we didn't see this coming and we couldn't have seen this coming if you took out we, we said before the champion hurdle that it was an extremely average champion hurdle as it turned out it was won by a very good mare it, it looks quite a good champion hurdle now doesn't absolutely, it absolutely yeah if you took out Paisley Park from the stayers hurdle beforehand it looked a distinctly ordinary um, stayers hurdle and or, or, or be, with, albeit one with lots of festival winners in it yeah absolutely but Penn Hill was pulled up early on as well it, it wasn't a great race because of the way Paisley Park ran having said that it's produced a really good story what we saw over the festival was that half the winners were trained by Gordon Elliott or Willie Mullins, mm -hmm. and plenty of the, of the others were trained by Nicky Henderson. You do need <laughs> the occasional different narrative to come in. You need to give people who aren't those trainers the chance to think, you know, we, we might win one of these. And Rebecca Curtis winning the 50-1 to 1 shot, written by Adam Wedge, was very helpful. Been quite a big season quietly for Adam Wedge as well, because he's got the pick of the Evan Williams, the pick of the Emma Lavelles, the pick of the Rebecca Curtises. It's a nice little group of trainers to be riding for, and he's had two grade ones now, and it's it's not before time, Harry, is it? No, it's not. Um, you know, come out of the English point-to-point, -point, um, you know, Jockey Academy, I suppose, and he's learnt his trade, and um, he's showing now how good a jockey he is. You know, a lot of trainers supporting him and um, he's a really good lad and works hard for it.
Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Bryony Frost and Lee Mottishead still with me, and I thought we'd use the time between now and then, Bryony, just to sort of take stock of, of where you're at and uh, and how, how this season's been going and, and how happy or otherwise you, you are, really. Yeah, I mean, I'm cool, yeah, I keep kicking, keep improving. The uh, the start of the season was a little steady, um, you know, our horses from Ditchit were, you know, something was a little amiss with them, quite a few of them had ulcers, um, you know, and, and Neil Kingsyard um, was also in a in a bit of a quiet spell as well. But um, we're on, I think, 43 winners now um, moving forward. And, uh, yeah, you just you, you just try and keep your head down and keep moving forward all the time. And what was the final total for last year? 50. Managed to get it. Black court and sand down. I mean, that was... That actually nearly, you know, it was right up there with the Ryanair win uh, for me because um, I'd been out again with my collarbone, so it made it uh, five, five months off um, for for the season um, through injury and that was frustrating so and uh, I'd only I don't I hadn't jumped for five weeks to come straight into Sandown Blackie I hadn't got him a winner yet I was trying to get to 50 I knew I got the title in the bag so that was that was mm. cool but a lot of people coming up to us and saying hey the fiver's on you and Blackie I was like okay <laughs> you know but and Paul you know saying he's ready this is his race this year and and yeah for it for it to happen to come back off injury, um, go straight into the grade two, win with a you know a horse that that put you on the map. Your first winner is a conditional. Now your last winner is a conditional. It was just a, a roundup of a an un, unreal year. Yeah. So you got your fifty. You got your championship. You were associated with these marquee horses as well. It, it can't it can't sustain in in some senses because you're not going to be a conditional anymore. So you don't have a claim. Yeah. The horses once they either reach their peak or get badly handicapped aren't going to be quite the same as, as they were. So you have to find renewal again, don't you? You have to find different ways of sustaining your own profile and yeah. your own success. You've got to keep a rhythm and you've got to keep trying to get the opportunities. You know, um, one of my best moves in my life to date was to walk through the, the gates at Ditchit, you know, to, to be under the wing of Paul and Clifford, um, you know, and them to, to take me to, to heights that I would have never even thought my career could go to. Um, you know, and my riding improves, um, hopefully time in and time out when I'm, I'm going out on track. That's what I'm trying to do. Um, and I've got good support around me. You know, I have Dave Roberts as an agent, I have my dad, um, and now I've, I've managed to, to um, be stable jockey for Neil King, you know, a yard that's uh, a young yard that's moving forward. Are you finding those two roles dovetailing quite well? Um, what, between Paul and Neil King? Yeah, yeah um, you know, I'm loyal to Paul, straight off. I ride whatever Paul puts me on, I'll ride. Um, that's you know that's that's going to be always the way it is, um, um, you know, and and then um, you know if I'm not riding for Paul then it's and then it's Neil um, and I, I can get I've got some really nice outside rides um, you know what what um, Dave manages to find me so that's just all about just keeping himself I mean they do say your season after being a conditional losing your claims the toughest one um, I actually feel like if that's the case then it, then it's going well. And, and just in terms of in terms of your your role with Paul, and Paul is a is a, an upfront kind of guy. He's going to tell you when you got it right. He's going to tell you when he, when you got it wrong. You, you had the race at Kempton the other day with Black Court and lined yeah. up on the outside. You weren't spared, but I think you'd already you'd already got your you'd already got your self criticism in before you'd got off the horse. Oh, look, you? I mean, jockeys, we you, there is no one that's going to sh- shoot ourselves harder than ourselves. You know, that's as simple as that. Um, and I, you always be the first to say, I cost you that race, you know. And uh, 
you know, Blackie were down at the start for a long time. He's just messing about with me. Normally, I line up. I've always lined up wide on him anyway because um, it's just always the way it's gone and it's always worked. This time it didn't, and of course you lose a split second at the start. You're two lengths behind at the first, especially with Kempton there. It's such a fast track. We had a nightmare of a run with fallers and loose horses, and and that race will bug me throughout the season, and probably one that I'll always think, you know, if I had got my normal start and my normal race, yeah, you know, best horse in the race, um, and yeah, I came straight into the paddock and I said to his owners and Paul, I held my hands up and said, I crushed that race. I'm sorry, you know, and that's that. Bet three six five gold cup at Sandown at the end of the yeah. season. That's yeah. the way you're, that's the way you're <laughs> going to repay. Yeah, try and fly the flag a bit better for the guys. Yeah, uh, you're you're being hard on yourself. I, I was talking about last year. It was such a bizarre year in terms of the amount of publicity you got, the profile you got. You were sort of racing's uh, poster woman, if you like, and it's very difficult to to set the bar that high, both in terms of what you're doing on the horse and off the horse, and just to keep keep jumping over it have you found you've had to sort of adjust your expectations a bit oh i don't know look i mean i, I never focus too much on it you know it's always a, a race at a time um and you know i'm i'm still young in and i, I think oh, what am i my little book that i keep i'm on 1253 rides in my life or something now so approximately yeah around there i should have brought it in and i could tell you exactly but uh here's the thing i learned off dad he always had a book of you know, the, the number of ride, the horse, the meeting, the owner and the trainer and where he was, where he finished. And it's just something I remember looking through when I was a kid and then seeing little Paul Vier, you know, all highlighted out on the Grand National. I thought, wow, that'd be really cool, wouldn't it? When you win a big race to have it there and you go, that was the day on that ride I won that race. And, yeah, I, I've done it. So, you know, um, so, yeah, from my very first unseat at Fleet Park on Prudent George for, for Dad, um, at the last, as I had to walk through the crowd, zero clapping me in, thinking I was very silly. Um, yeah, to, to this day. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Cruel Dubai. So turning our attention to coronavirus and its possible impact on racing, Brian Kavanagh joins us, Chief Executive of Horse Racing Ireland. In Ireland, racing is adopting the closed doors policy as directed by the Irish government. Um, Brian, good morning. Morning, Nick. Um, are, you, are you pretty happy at HRI that you can, you can proceed under the government's advice there and proceed with a, with a, a closed doors policy and keep the show on the road? That's the, that's the ambition, uh, and so far we've had two meetings uh, under closed-door policy, and they went fine, a uh, couple of little learnings, but, but nothing major. Uh, obviously, we don't know what's around the corner uh, with this outbreak, and, and uh, you know, conscious that it was, it was, it was infection of, of coaches and players, which effectively closed the football uh, uh, down. So, so um, yeah, but we're confident at the moment that, you know, we can. We, we had a meeting at Navin yesterday where you usually would have two and a half thousand people. It, it went ahead with you know less than three hundred people there, most of whom were were either involved with a horse, uh, leading a horse up, or, or, or working at the meeting. Um, so that's comfortably within the government's guidelines of, of, of limits of five hundred people. Have you been given any guidance from the government as to how long you'll be able to race behind closed doors? Uh, the initial government uh, instruction was. The, the initial government instruction was up until the 29th of March. So for the next two weeks, uh, at least, we will be under these circumstances. Okay. Who knows what happens thereafter? 
uh, because presumably the worry is that there is something thereafter that is then going to undermine your ability to do that. And for example, if a if a jockey tested positive for coronavirus, would you then have to would you then have to call it a day? Yeah, that's the sort of thing you'd be concerned about. Uh, and uh, the, the analogy with football is there uh, uh, to see, but. Um, you know, we're taking it on a day-by-day basis at the moment, uh, and obviously these are emergency measures. You know, it's 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 a difficult situation. It was Navin yesterday was a sorry sight to see, but you know you've got to look at the bigger picture, and you've got to you know there's a major public health scare uh, issue here. So um, you know we're we're just glad to be able to keep racing. Couple more points, Brian. First, how worried are you from a financial point of view that the horse racing island can keep its head above water? Uh, the longer it goes on, it's a challenge, but uh, I don't think that's, that's the important issue at the moment. I think the, the important issue is if, is if we can try and get some sort of grip on, on, on this, this disease uh, and its spread. Uh, you know, I think um, it's our duty to try and keep the wheels moving, uh, you know, uh, keep prize money going into the system, keep people earning a living, you know, any, any, anyone working in, uh, in, in, in trainers' yards are, are dependent on racing continuing. So it's a concern, and it's a concern probably as much for race courses as for horse racing Ireland, you know, if they're losing sponsorship, if they're losing gate receipts, uh, you know, while you can survive that, you know, and you can survive on media rights revenue for a couple of meetings, as a long-term proposition, that's not... Not ideal. Uh, that's not viable, but, mm. but, but we've no choice. I mean, that's, we'll, we'll tackle that issue when, when, when we come to it. Uh, Brian, finally, with the Aintree Grand National meeting round the corner, what's your policy as regards advising people on travelling, both horses and humans? Uh, no policy yet, Nick. We'll, we, we'll adopt a wait and see. We'll be guided completely, as we were in relation to Cheltenham, by, by the Irish government and, and, and their policy at the moment. I think the thing I would say is there's been a big shift in public mood over here, uh, you know, uh, only in the course of the last week. Uh, you know, uh, going to Cheltenham wasn't an issue as people left, and then while people were in Cheltenham, we were becoming aware of, of just disquiet back home. Uh, you know, that there were so many Irish people at, at such a major meeting as Cheltenham. So, um, you know, there's no restrictions at the moment on on, on, mm. on uh, horses running. We have an English runner at Limerick today. Uh, and, um, you know, we'll be guided by the government. Um, uh, let's hope, you know, by the time that comes around, there'll be some light at the end of the tunnel. It's hard to see it, but, um, you know, as I said, we're, we're meeting on a daily basis and we're we're taking this one step at a time. So entry is, is a consideration, but, it, but that's a little bit down the road. Do you think Cheltenham would have taken place if it had been in Ireland? Uh, well, racing was taking place up on Thursday uh, in Ireland, you know, without any restrictions or without any... But with, with that magnitude of crowd and obviously <laughs> such a, a huge convergence I, 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 of people. As, as I said, I think the mood changed right during the middle yeah, of right. Cheltenham. Uh, you know, uh, now we did have the... the um, uh, Ireland Italy rugby match was cancelled uh, uh, the previous the previous weekend, uh, which would have been a sort of a, an equivalent sort of crowd to Cheltenham. Um, but you know, I think I think Cheltenham just took place right on the week where the thing hit hit its peak. You know, uh, and as I said, we were racing as normal up up, up until Thursday's government announcement. Brian, uh, it's clearly an evolving situation. We'll perhaps talk to you again in in, in weeks to come. But for the moment, thanks so much. Thank you, Brian Cavanagh, Chief Executive of Horse Racing Ireland, with news on what's happening. Uh, in Ireland at the moment as regards the protocols with coronavirus, which we expect to be replicated 
uh, in some shape or form here within the next few days. A man amongst the training ranks, former practicing GP, Dr. Richard Newland, and still very much involved in the healthcare business and has, has gone public on this already and joins us on the line now. Uh, Richard, morning. Morning, Nick. And my, my inference that I drew from your comments already is that you think that this is uh, the, the, the Irish situation behind closed doors racing is a bit of an, is a bit of an overreaction. Is that fair? I'm not sure whether that's fair. I think the problem is that racing has to follow suit with the rest of the sports and the rest of the sports have to follow suit with government direction. So in the end, what we may individually think is probably not of um, that much relevance. I mean, I personally hope we keep the sport um, going as best we can. Um, we're, we're seeing, I think we're heading for economic disasters across the board at the moment in, in, our, uh, in our efforts to try and manage this virus. Uh, it sort of seems to me that there's two schools of thought, one of which is that if we don't shut down completely and quarantine almost everybody and certainly quarantine the vulnerable, that we're, we're heading for an absolute catastrophe. And the other school of thought that says that we should try and carry on as, with business as usual you know, where possible. Where do you stand? <laughs> Somewhere between the two. I think the advice that... Um... Look, I must be clear, this is, this is a personal view. I'm yeah. not a practicing medic anymore. But, but, uh, but you I, have been a practicing medic, so you have a greater understanding than I do as to, as to the, 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 the behavior of viruses and, and, you know, and, and public health, and you still work in the healthcare industry. Yeah, that's true. But this is all, this is all um, new territory for everyone, isn't it? So I think that um, the advice that appears to be about to come out, that the over-70s, and those with vulnerable health conditions should properly self-isolate uh, is the right one. These are the people who are at risk. I mean, I, I think we, we had, am I right in saying there were 10 deaths in the UK yesterday? Yeah. Well, I think the youngest was about 79 years old and the oldest was about 90. We've got to be clear that the people who are vulnerable here are, are the elderly and the infirm. And, and, and people with with serious medical conditions, and they're, they're the people we've got to find a way of protecting. And now, obviously, I think the reason that we're being all isolated, asked to sort of where possible work from home and so on and so forth, not I'm not just talking about racing now, um, is to really help the NHS cope with the demand. I mean, it's the problem, it's the lack of um, medical staff, it's the lack of beds, it's the lack of intensive care beds, it's lack of oxygen. It's these issues. So they're just trying to flatten out and slow down the progress for that. And, and, I, and, I, and I totally understand that position. Um, do, you think, do you think we were right to allow Cheltenham to, to happen? Uh, yeah, per personally, yes, I do. Um, and we don't really know. I mean, there seems to be conflicting views about just how dangerous these mass gatherings, as it were, are. You know, um, so... But it is, as I say, new territory for everyone. Uh, Richard, thanks so much. All the best. Cheers, Nick. Dr Bye. Richard Newland, a former practising GP and a healthcare professional. Uh, let's just get uh, the reaction from you guys. Uh, Lee, first of all, it does look from the way that government was briefing political correspondents over yeah. the weekend that we are moving from a carry-on-business-as-usual policy that was the thrust of Boris Johnson's Thursday uh, speech with you know the usual health advice, yeah. wash your hands, etc. To something where we are going to quarantine elderly people and move toward uh, restriction on on mass gatherings. Yeah, and we've moved from A to B extremely quickly mm. because, as you say, the the, the the line on 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 during the week was that mass gatherings were okay, and that actually they didn't greatly 
um, trigger a, a, an increase in the virus being spread. That view seems to have changed now. Um, on the, we have to place everything when we talk about racing in the context that we're talking about a, a global pandemic, yeah. and in that sense, horse racing is trivial. It, it is, but, but again, weirdly, but, yeah, but, it, but also it is. It's a, yeah. it's, a, it's a sport on which numerous livelihoods. Are based. And, and not only that, weirdly, it has become a more focal point because it carries on whilst other sports are not carrying on. So therefore, not only do we have a responsibility, yeah. we're also being held up as an example, either positively or negatively, of a reaction Absolutely. to this pandemic. And on social media, towards the end of the Cheltenham Festival, there were numerous people posting huge pictures of huge crowds at Cheltenham saying, how is this being allowed to take place? And I know from working within the press room, a number of my Irish press room colleagues, not from within the Racing Post, but from the, within the Irish racing media, left Cheltenham early. Mm -hmm. They didn't feel comfortable being there. They might have had people at home saying, you should be coming home, and they came home. It was, ve it was a very different Cheltenham festival. You, if you just put the, the health aspects of one side, if you like, and, and the potential financial consequences, mm -hmm. They are huge. As Brian was saying, for, for race courses, for participants, we've got breeze-up sales coming along now. It's hard to envisage how they can take place, which I mean there's an awful lot of people who yeah. are left with horses that they thought they were going to sell. What do they do uh, now? Exactly there are enormous consequences. And sales have been cancelled in, in America. Absolutely. cancelled their sale, yeah. the two-year-old sale there. And, and we were hearing from Brian Kavanagh in Ireland, if a jockey tests positive for coronavirus, then... It's, it's one, just one positive could undermine the entire game, even running Absolutely. behind closed doors. And that's pretty much what you've been told, isn't it? Yeah, we have a, a brief before every meeting now of the doctors that come in and say if there was one to test positive, that's, that's it. The, the whole race day is, is done. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, if you create a cough or you're feeling a high temperature... Um, take yourself back to the car, and then that's that's then they'll take it further from there. Um, and wherever you've been, they they actually say not to come into the medical room um, if you are and feeling well um, to to go straight to the car because um, that that's your place to be. Um, different doctors are handling the speeches differently. Some sound more serious, some don't. I think that's kind of the way of the world at the minute. So, some countries are, are very serious on it and some are, are a little less. Um, I think it's because it's the unknown, one of the doctors was saying, because it's created by bats and snakes and it's coming to humans that this is the difficult part, that they're trying to work out the vaccine for it um, and that it is attacking the, the elderly or, um, you know, the, the people with lesser, yeah. the lesser um, you know, um, uh, immune systems. Um, for us jockeys probably especially jump jockeys. I mean, a lot of us will ride with hairline fractures a lot of the time and things like that. So, um, you know, we've got to try and probably find out a bit more what's not just a common cold and what it actually is. Uh, we're going to speak to Graham Motion in a moment. I want to nutshell the Grand National because yeah. this is clearly the, the major issue. This is going to grab headlines. This is going to be headline news right up to the, the event if it goes ahead, Lee. Yeah. How do you think the sport can play this? I think it's an almost impossible situation, to be honest, Nick. Um, I think there is the potential for enormous negativity from society towards horse racing if we're seen to be staging major events at a time when people are being told to self-isolate and resist from, from public gatherings. Um, we would all love to see the Grand National take place. Mm -hmm. Nobody would love it more than I. I, I adore the Grand National, but I, but I 
do fear that it's going to be an awful, awfully hard for it to, to happen. Certainly, the, the numbers that have been set of 500 people, the Grand National, even if you're looking at one groom, jockey, trainer, rider of horse, then Grand National, that's 160 people straight away. If that's away. correct, if the, briefings, yeah. if the briefings from government are correct, so if, there's no flex. Yeah, and it, so I think for the Grand National to take place, there would have to be um, some sort of leeway given mm. to increase those numbers. And if you start doing that, does it then become harder? to justify to the public why it's taking place. On the other hand, if it takes place behind closed doors with a skeleton staff yeah. there and has a huge television audience, it could well be considered a, a, a real tonic for, for the public and that's as a great national event. That's, absolutely that's kind right. of my hope. Yeah, that, and that that's absolutely happen. right too. Um, at a time when nothing is happening, this sort of thing, giving a sense of continuity, mm. giving a sense that life is carrying on, not as normal, but with normal things happening, could be deemed to be um, a really good thing. I suppose the difficulty with a, with a race meeting compared to, say, a, fo a football match happens in an enclosed stadium. Yeah. It's pretty easy to, to stage a football event behind closed doors. Ian Renton was making the point last week, and the Chocolate Executive were making the point, that if we'd said... This Cheltenham Festival has to happen behind closed doors. How do you stop all those people that have got tickets, A, from trying to get in, and B, from forming <laughs> a mass gathering outside the gates? Yeah. And it's a serious point. It is. You know, there, there'll be an awful lot of Liverpudlians and racegoers who have bought tickets for Grand National Day already. A lot of those people might just think on Grand National Day, well, we're going to try and get in. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a horribly although, difficult although situation. As, as as, Rich, as, as Brian Kavanagh was saying, the public mood is shifting. I, for one, and I speak completely independently of my position on the, on the Ancient Committee, this is, I'm not representing the views of anybody else, but I, I, for one, hope that it can go ahead even if it is behind closed doors because yeah. I, think, I think the positives outweigh the negatives. But quite, and I agree with I you. Quite I think, un, and yeah. quite understand the potential uh, look of, of us taking away medical professionals. If we can be assured that, that that wouldn't be the case, then I think... And the thing about the Grand National, it is a recognised national event. event. And in exactly. that sense, it could well bring the nation together. Especially with the marathon postponed and, and yeah. so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. uh, this has had an impact everywhere, of course, racing behind closed doors at most of the major race courses in the United States. Trainer Graham Motion joins us now. Graham, good morning. I hope Graham's there. Good morning, Nick. Oh, yeah, no, we have got you. I think there might be a bit of a delay on the line, Graham, so we'll, we'll bear with it. Just tell us about the, the impact on, on you and, and the sport of, of coronavirus in the U.S. at the moment. Well, right now, most meets went on yesterday without spectators, so um, it was kind of business as usual, but with no spectators, if you like. And I, I guess the infrastructure of the sport there, where people are training at the track, Broadly speaking, I know you train at a different training centre, but where people have horses based at the track, it, 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 it's sort of suited to that behind closed door situation. It's something that is, is broadly sustainable. Yeah, I mean, a lot of our racing was televised yesterday. There were some big derby preps, as you well know. Um, so, you know, people were able to bet. Um, so it didn't have a huge impact. Obviously, at Oaklawn, there would have been a, a big crowd yesterday for those races. Um, but by and large, it was somewhat business as usual without the crowds. And just give us an indication as to the mood uh, locally and nationally in terms of this and, and, and the, the sense of disquiet and or panic. 
Well, I think there's a lot of confusion, to be honest. I mean, I'm actually on my way to Florida. I was supposed to fly yesterday, but I was reluctant to get on an airplane with my wife, um, who has asthma. So I think there's a lot of confusion. I think it's it's all happening very quickly. I think we're learning more and more about it, probably like you guys are. Um, and I think there's a there's an element of uh, a lot of concern. And we were talking about Aintree and the Grand National and the possibility of that being run. Needless to say, the nearest equivalent in the United States is the Kentucky Derby, huge national event, a huge publicly watched event, as well as a horse racing event. Do you think that is under under significant threat? I, I believe it is, yes, definitely. Uh, and that, that it, 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 it wouldn't be run behind closed doors? I have heard mention of it being delayed. Um, you know, the Kentucky Derby is such a unique race and there's such an enormous crowd that I could see it being delayed but I, I really don't know. I'd be speaking out of turn if I said I knew what was going on. Yeah, that seems possible. And uh, Graham, I, I, I wanted to speak to you today, notwithstanding the, the coronavirus, really about the, the, the extraordinary revelations that hit racing in the United States last Monday. It was just before the Cheltenham Festival for us so it didn't really get the publicity here that, that it might have done otherwise but that was the news that, that 27 people were, were indicted on charges of a mass systemic doping scandal that had stretched back several years in an investigation that had been precipitated by, by Jockey Club investigation and had then been taken on, on by the FBI. I, just give me an indication as to the reaction from the, from the community, from the racing community, from, from the training community at, 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 the, at the news that, that both Jason Service and Jorge Navarro were, were indicted as part of this 27-strong group of people. Well, I think the, the initial reaction was tremendous shock um, to the depths of what was going on. I don't think anyone was particularly surprised about the trainers that were involved, but I think that the quickness and the, the depth of the indictments was shocking to everybody um, and how many people were involved and, and the fact that, you know, the chances are there's going to be more names come out, which is a worry. I'm obviously interested that you say that nobody was surprised and we all hear gossip and, and chatter at the race course about people doing things that they might, mightn't be doing, but we, we sort of have to try and, and rationalise in our own minds whether there's anything substantial behind that. Why, why in the community was it, was it so clear and obvious to everybody that these people were not playing, playing by, by fair rules? I mean, the percentages of these two trainers were just hard to believe and when something's hard to believe there's usually a reason um you know ev everybody within the industry discussed the fact that it was possible that these guys were cheating i think we kind of resigned ourselves to accept that it was the way it was um i knew jason a little bit i don't know jorge navarro at all but um i, I think the depths of the cheating and the fact that they were actually doing it together was just shocking to everybody and just very disappointing, upsetting. Um, but like Mark Cassie, I heard him say yesterday on the radio, I mean, this is, for a lot of us, it's a, it's a good moment. I mean, we're glad to see them cleaned out. It's just a shame it took the FBI to come along to deal with it. But I, I suppose one of the most positive aspects of this, unfortunate pun, absolutely not intended, is that, is that this was a, an investigation that was, that was originally led and funded by by the Jockey Club, and in an era where we talk about lack of leadership and people not doing anything and turning a blind eye, etc., would you agree that that was at least a baby step in the right direction from the governors? 
Hundred percent. I mean, look, I, I give them credit for for starting this. You know, we're led to believe it started three or four years ago, I believe. Um, but what's disappointing is that this, you know, everything over here is controlled by the states. Each state is like their own little fiefdom, if you like. And the fact that we're not able to police our own sport better, when there was tremendous suspicion that these guys were cheating. It's just very disappointing. I mean, there were even question marks around the vet involved. You know, and we're dealing with, with racetracks where you have to go through a security gate to get into the racetrack. So the fact that we can't control that, to me, is, is, is showing there's a much bigger problem here, that we can't police ourselves. How worrying to you is it that these horses are not testing positive, that it takes... Uh, federal investigators to wiretap people and investigate them over several years in order to have any proof of, of, of cheating? Look, no doubt that's, that's probably the biggest worry, right? And that's why I'm a, a big proponent for the Horse Racing Integrity Act, which we're trying to get through Congress. And this would involve um, the Olympic testing uh, a group to take over our testing process uh, and I think that's something that we desperately need in our sport. But isn't it, isn't it the case, from what we've seen, that the chemists, the underground chemist, chemistry, is, is inevitably some way ahead of the, of the testing procedures? Yeah, and I think this should be, uh, this should be a, a worry for everybody throughout the world, probably, right? Not just America. Uh, and that is the key. I mean, do you believe that this is not a problem exclusive to the United States? Well, I mean, these horses ran in Dubai and, and cleared the testing process, so... Yeah, that... Or, or certainly XY Jet did, certainly. So it rather, it, rather, it rather speaks for itself. Well, fingers crossed there, there can be some sort of global accord on this. But thank you for your thoughts, Graham. I appreciate it, as always, and I look forward to catching up soon. Good to talk to you. Thanks, Nick. Uh, Graham Motion, leading uh, US trainer and a man uh, always to be respected on, on issues such as some very interesting comments there. Yeah, really interesting. Um, I think there's... Two points I would draw from this this whole appalling episode so far. One is that Graham made the point there that he wasn't surprised because there had been rumours. Mm. I was in Melbourne the spring before Darren Weir um, was arrested. There were rumours about him as well. There's something wrong with racing systems mm. if people all seem to think or have suspicions that somebody is cheating and it takes this sort of incident for that to... Um, to, to take action. Second thing I would say is that whenever people who dislike racing say this sport should be banned, it's cruel. People like you and me and Bryony mm. come out and we say, well, mm. listen, the great thing about horse racing is the people involved in horse racing yeah. love racing. And horses. no one articulates it better Absolutely. than Bryony. That's what we say. That's what I say. Yeah. That the people involved in racing love racehorses. When the wider public read stories about people like Darren Weir, about the Marmadel Zarini doping scandal, about these appalling people and what they've done using performance-enhancing mm. drugs that cause horses to overexert themselves and put their lives at risk. Mm. That argument that we make, that racing people of horses more than anything else, that rings hollow. And I know in the, in the vast majority of cases it's true, but the problem is some of these odious acts that appalling people are doing are making it much harder for us to make that argument to the wider public. And this is in, you've just cited three examples, 
One in Australia. Yeah. One egregious one that we've just seen in the United States, yeah. and one here in the yeah. United Kingdom. And don't forget, there was a steroids case in Ireland as well. Yeah. Not so long ago. It, it's very reductive to suggest this is restricted to one part of Absolutely. the world. Absolutely. And every it's a global, global problem. I think it's the single. I mean, they spend that much time talking about the whip. Yeah. I was about to put an adjective in there. I mean, this is far, far more. Absolutely, and when you when you read some of the comments from the trans from the from the the, the, the tape conversation that these people had and their views on the horses and how expendable they were, it, it just it, it beggars belief. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Equuel Dubai. You've been listening to the Luck on Sunday podcast, the weekly digest of the best bits from Luck on Sunday, the programme that brings you the best guests and insights from around the racing world.